0: Hey team, I want you to meet Darren Sharp, Chief Revenue Officer at Sweet Spot. But first, here's what Katie McPhee said about Darren. So Darren Sharp, I met him in a sales leader peer group that was put together by the Lazaridis Institute, which is um, an organization where, you know, sort of hyper-growth companies are selected to be part of this program. And he is just like a, a super impressive, smart longtime sales leader gets it, right? Like goes into a company, figures it out, deep dives and like creates this huge growth for whatever company he touches. Um, so he is a guy, he's a CRO um, right now at Sweet Spot, um, but has been a revenue leader for many years and has lots of, of great value that he can share. Hey, Darren. What are three ways your team converts your market into revenue? Great question, Chris. Thank
1: you for that. So for really, we're we're fairly, fairly traditional. We have an inbound channel, an outbound channel, and a partner channel. I think one of the more interesting is how do we uniquely leverage those channels for success? So one, if we look at our traditional outbound sales channel, I'm incredibly proud of our VDR team's ability to profile, research, and connect with your prospects. So we look at it as value-based sequencing plus hyper-personalization. And we're really proud of what the, the outcomes that are coming there. Then we tie that with our inbound PPC strategy, looking at the exact same personas and trying to hit the same people so that our outbound and inbound are connected. So you're connecting with the LinkedIn ad as we, we send you that message, really trying to drive, Hey, do we understand you as a prospect's problem? Could you see value in a quick connect or quick conversation with us? So really on those inbound, outbound channels. How are we creating new conversations? The partner model is interesting from a startup perspective. Anytime you're developing a partner channel, the key is timing, right? How do you not be everything to everyone but create highly valuable bilateral partnerships? So for that one, you know, I'm really proud of the work we've done of defining the right type of partner and being able to service them. And as we scale, we expect to see that partner channel becoming a bigger piece of our business. But today we're, Dominantly led by the inbound and outbound checks. What are
0: three hard problems that you recently overcame?
1: Okay, so three things you recently overcame. So we are, as a startup, we're we're constantly in the path of positive change we talk about. So I'm going to mention three things that we are constantly working on, but I'm really proud of the work we've done to position us for success. So one in in sales is is prospect discovery. So this is a tough balance between interrogation and value-based discussion. And we've recently really flipped our scripts and really tried to shift the discovery goal to making sure the prospect understands our interpretation of their problem and, and how it's affecting them individually. And that shift has been, instead of going with the standard, Hey, are you experiencing this industry problem? What is the personal impact of this problem and how is it affecting you guys? Small change, but that shift in discovery has really shifted our sales model, where now we're really, I know like we're not, not original team, but we're really focusing on client pain, focusing in on the impact to each individual prospect. A second one is the client feedback loops. Before I came on board at Sweet Spot, we hadn't done a great job with. So we've introduced the customer advisory board, we've introduced a quarterly business review process and are, you know, greatly mining a lot of great data from our existing clients. Um, and really trying to one two twofold, increase the dialogue between existing client and sweet spot. How do we build a better foundation, but also learn from them, learn from them, from product, not only how we've deployed, but product innovation. And we're now seeing great innovation come out of that feedback loop. Really excited about where that takes us. Uh, the last thing, and this is a change that many um, SaaS companies go through is a shift in our pricing model from a feature or modular based model to platform. So our value to our to clients was greatly in the entirety of our platform because of some legacy pieces and how we, how we have grown up, we had clients buying different modules and not buying the entirety of the platform. So we made a difficult business decision to make this as a shift. We're going to shift our existing clients from uh, feature-based to platform. And we're going to present in a new way. And we're going to present the product as a platform. So it's a great success on that front. So we're really proud of, like, that's a big change, both from our CS teams and sales teams of how we are, how the clients, what they are purchasing and what we're delivering. So we're really proud of, of those changes. What are three roadblocks that you're working on now? Got it. Uh, well, watch. So as I said to you earlier, I'm not interesting. Like, so this is very, so this is probably the things a lot of folks are going through. One, like, really hyper growth scale dashboards. All right? How do we get as much actionable data as we scale? So my team's were I run uh, inside sales, outside sales, client success and marketing and having the right growth dashboards and caring about the real indicators that we need. It's something that I'm working on with my peer group with our executive leadership because in a world of so much data, how do you really come down to actionable evidence data? How do we look at those dashboards and say, this is the right leading indicators for X or for Y. I think it's one of those things that like roadblock may be a harsh term, but it's an evolutionary piece. And it's, it's a piece that we're really developing right now. Um, the second piece is like, in any way, of time in the sales cycle, you want to show your value, right? And really looking at how you quantify value, especially from the midpoint of the sales cycle to the end through that negotiation phase. So we're looking at the decision link but also more to try and internalize and how do we quantify the specific value that this client is going to take or this prospect is going to take from leveraging sweet spot. And part of that leads into the last roadblock is how do you speed up our sales cycle? I don't know any revenue leader who wouldn't say, Hey, if I could take 30 days out of my sales cycle, if I could take X out of my sales cycle, again, not original, but can we create more urgency within that sales cycle? And the way that we're trying to do that is I mentioned earlier, Hey, how do we better understand prospect challenge? How do we quantify our solution? Those two things together are really trying to allow us to earn the right to ask for the business earlier, and so that's really a path that we're going now. Of can we show enough unique value? Show our understanding of the prospect challenge to create a buying um, a buying agreement earlier than the, than a, than our traditional cycle. What are three mental models that you use to do your best work? Hey, three mental models. So first one I'll talk to you about is when I take some of my career uh, as an individual contributor that stuck with me. And that's really the Pareto principle. Results are not equally distributed. Like oftentimes people call the Pareto principle, the 820 rule. But I look at this all the time and understanding not every opportunity is the same. Not every prospect is the same. And I use this all the time to help drive focus. Because I think as sellers, we can be distracted by the shiny thing. And we can treat a call, like a call, like a call. When in reality, some calls are worth a hundred times more. Some prospects are worth a hundred times more and reminders of that to drive the right focus and energy in the right spot has helped me as an individual contributor and still as a leader. On the, on the same idea of, of focus, um, I've been taught an opportunity cost model, that a great, uh, executive leader in Paul Kerr, who always talked about the casino chips example. and whether you're a startup or how big you are, no matter what, There's a limited number of chips that we're going to invest in certain things and people and technology and campaigns and go to market and understanding that each chip that you place, every choice comes at the cost of another. And so this has really taught me to hone in on our top selling activities, our top clients, again, to drive focus and understanding that every investment we make is going to pull away from something else. So we have to make sure that you know, if we're going to be dramatically more successful because we put the chips on this pile, that there has to be a level of belief that that's the right, that's the right investment for us. Uh, and lastly, something just, is don't the mental model, but I support a culture of coaching. I believe that, especially in growth models, that your team should be coached and support coaching every day. So we talk about our teams being able to collaborate in all things. This allows everyone to be rolling in the right direction. But by creating a culture of coaching, you allow all of your team members to manage up, to manage down, to coach each other, to have a voice. And it can really drive for your team members still like the power of something. And I think, you know, as we, as we build growing teams, a way to keep everyone engaged on the right goals is to allow them to collaborate in all things. I think, I think that, that piece is really important for us as we go.
0: What are three techniques that other GTM teams need to try? So I mentioned earlier on
1: our outbound, like I I believe strongly in doing great homework and hyper-personalized email sequences. I think there's lots of different um, thoughts on the value of email sequencing. And I think as a component of your outbound strategy is one of those channels when leveraged right can be incredibly powerful, right? And so I'll challenge those that aren't doing that to think about it, but look at what's right for your product, what's right for your prospects, and how do you incorporate incorporate that into a LinkedIn strategy, a call strategy and a value-based messaging strategy that's trying to create curiosity with prospects. And I think that piece, um, I think that people should definitely try. I've talked to different revenue leaders who are getting away from, from email sequencing, getting away from email. I, I do think it's absolutely worth, worth the squeeze. Um, so one thing that we're trying to do from, from our side is look at how do we become industry experts, right? And talking within our client's own words. And one of the things I like to do is bring subject matter experts from outside the organization in to speak as, you know, to really help frame the client problem in their own words, but not in an environment where we're selling like a guard down environment where we can really dive in. And I'm talking about all members of the team. When all members of the team better understand prospect challenges, in their words and their language and their shoes, we can all of a sudden bring messaging back, the show's empathy has value to them and showcases industry expertise, all things that we want to develop every day. Uh, I guess the last thing that like go to market teams need to realize or try just be with the high cool what's working and like have no sacred cows, right? Like improve on what's working every week, but only keep what's working regardless of the investment. Right. And I see. You know, I work with the revenue leaders who maintain campaigns and investments because it's what we've always done or it's what we believe is the right path, but are seeing no ROI there. And I think we have to be, as leaders, have to be willing to cut the cord and say, no, we're, we're, we're done doing the things that aren't driving material value for us or our prospects. Um, and we're going to lean in to what's working. What are two questions you love to ask and why? My favorite question asking a client is your prospect is what's important to you? And I find it's a it's an interesting component that we assume what's important to to folks in, in business all the time. And I think that can be a a, a great priority setting landscape. Right. That's when some professionally, um, I think in that same way on the personal side is what drives you. And I get those are two separate things, but I like to know people's motivation. And I don't know what they care about, the, what, what they care about the most and why. That allows me to better understand, okay, this is what's keeping them up at night, this is what motivates them. Is there a connection here where so I can help solve that problem?
0: Who are three operators that should be our next guests and why?
1: Okay. Uh, great question. So one, uh, I've, I've, broken this out there a little bit from, uh, leadership, revenue, leadership, and, uh, CS. So I'll start with CS. So Chris Basil is the head of uh, customer success. At companies to work with essential accessibility. He has done an amazing job of scaling a team that is under high pressure. And it's growing incredibly fast through a hyper growth SaaS model. And his ability to define process, change process, and be a fantastic leader to that group. I think he has a lot to share. Um, Chris Black is a CRO at Jalera. So Jalera is the MSP for MSDs. Um, I follow his content on LinkedIn, know Chris well. I think he has a, uh, he's an empathetic leader and he has a great vision for where Jalair is going. It might be interesting to have a conversation Uh, from the leadership perspective, I've worked closely with Terry Marisa at CompuGen. So he's now the president of CompuGen, one of the Canada's largest IT integrators, and he has a unique perspective on revenue building through multi-channels, team building across what is a huge uh, and displaced team. I think he'd bring a lot of value. Uh, to this podcast from senior leadership perspective, uh, managing, you know, what is now a hundreds of millions of dollars business.
0: Thanks, Darren. For people who love what you're saying, what should they go do next?
1: Great question. That I was not ready for One thing I'll say is that the traditional ways that people learn and grow in their roles of HBR books and, and online training and coaching sessions, I think it's changing. And I think there's incredible um, access to great information that can help you in your desk, regardless of the de- your desk on LinkedIn. And I, so I think, so what I'll challenge folks to do is find folks that speak to a direction that you're trying to go. And I think there's ways to leverage LinkedIn, like, like three of yourself, this podcast, to learn more and try new things. And I don't think it has to be, you know, the old model of getting an MBA or, or hiring in that, that experience. I think you can seek it out. And I'll challenge folks to look for uh, different ways to educate yourselves on on your next phase of
0: growth. Hey team, what did you think about this? I'm Chris Morgan, host of the Market to Revenue Podcast. Shoot me an email right now about what you thought about this episode. It's Chris at market to revenue.com. Talk to you in a moment.